So you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard my message, you've watched my interview, my midlife valuation with Amy, and you know that this idea of being kinder to yourself makes sense. Like you really do need to start working on showing up for yourself in a kind and compassionate way, especially as you're trying to change and slay the dragons that get in the way of, of making those changes in our life. And yet you're really running up against this one thing that is making this a really difficult transition for you. Your inner mean girl. Yeah, you know, you know who I'm talking about. She's that inner voice that's always dragging you down. Anytime you try something new, she's like, oh, that's what you're trying. She has that kind of disdainful tone in her voice, but sometimes she even just really shows up vilely to you. She says things to you about you that you would never say to anybody else. So if you've had any interactions with the inner mean girl, then today's podcast is for you. And I want you to keep listening. Welcome. This is Midlife Crisis to a Centered Life Thriving, a podcast that teaches women in midlife to unapologetically stop silencing their dreams and start designing the lives they want to live in. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie, and as a clinical psychologist of the last two decades and a twice-divorced single mother myself, I not only know how hard it can feel heading into midlife, I am living it right here with you. I've taken all the many failed attempts and lessons learned in my own life and combine it with my extensive clinical experience to give you the tools you need to make midlife the best time in your life. No joke. So let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. I can't wait. I'm actually going to be releasing throughout the fall an old podcast, which really isn't that old since this is season one of my podcast, but a podcast I've already done really early this year that I think fits with the subject matter that we're talking about this fall. And because I can, I'm going to be bringing back some of the ones that were my favorites and that I think have valuable information in them that are really useful to you. So if you've only started listening to me in recent months, now is actually the time to be here because I'm going to have us just bring some of these oldies but goodies back and help you out if you haven't gotten through the entire first season of the podcast yet. So this one on the inner mean girl is definitely near and dear to my heart, mostly because I have myself my own inner mean girl who says nasty things to me all the time, even still. Yeah, that's right. I practice what I preach because I know how our inner wiring works. Works, and I know that we've all got this naysaying part of us. Some people call this a limiting belief or having a scarcity mindset. There's a lot of ways that we talk about this idea that we have this internal voice that always seems to be dragging us down. 
in actuality, what it's dragging us towards is an old pattern of behavior that we think is the thing that's going to save us in that moment. So if we start to venture out and do something new, inner mean girl is her loudest for sure. But let me have you listen to this original podcast where I talk about the inner mean girl, why I use that as my metaphor for this internal system, and what some tips are for how you can manage this in your life. I am going to be talking this week about inner mean girls, Mm -hmm. that inner self-critic that we all love, love to hate so, so much. And I know that you have one. We all have one. I call it the inner mean girl. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls a long time ago was a SNL riff. I think that Lindsay Lohan was the lead. I can't remember all the actresses that were in it. But anyway, it was basically this parody of uh, being um, in high school and there were the plastics, which were like the popular girls and then all the other social (laughs) factions, I guess, that happened in high school from there. And it was called Mean Girls. And there was this book involved. I believe if I remember correctly, it was called the burn book because if anybody found it, it should be burned, but essentially, or maybe it was because people are burning people. Essentially, it is a book full of really nasty things about people and these plastics or popular girls um, added to it. So it was just people that they had vendettas with, you know, were feeling ragey at, (laughs) they just would, you know, draw pictures or put a picture in and just say nasty things about them. Now, when this book got found out, it created utter mayhem within this high school. (laughs) Utter mayhem. So all the girls that were named in it started to be mean to one another because what they realized is if somebody knew about this and wrote about it in this book, then the only person that could have told them was my friend. Sally over here. And so that means Sally broke my trust. So that like, there was just people fighting with everybody, friends fighting with friends. It was, it was mayhem. And that's as much as we need to talk about (laughs) mean girls in the movie, but I call our inner self-critic this mean girl, because that is the kind of thing that is going to happen when we have that self-critical thinking it creates utter mayhem on the inside. And not only that, it creates a real fear and distrust with ourselves, right? And if we're not trusting of ourselves, we're never going to step into our power. We're never going to make the call to do the thing that we're dreaming about doing for ourselves. We will always talk ourselves out of it. And we might fancy that up by calling it rational. (laughs) I'm thinking rationally, Dr. Natalie. I, I can't do that because of A, B, C, and D. I don't really care if you print it up. I know what it comes down to. What it comes down to is this inner critical thinking. So the topic today is this inner mean girl. Why is she there? What the heck do we do with her? Um, Does she have any purpose whatsoever? Because most of us, again, just love to hate her. Like if we could, would cut her out of our lives, right? Well, let me give you a little background on the inner mean girl and this this self-critical thinking and why it's there. If you think about it, inner mean behavior is our own shaming of ourself. 
right? So in many ways, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but in many ways, it is taught to us by society. Like if you could meet this ideal, then you wouldn't have to be critical of yourself. But if you meet anything less than this ideal, then the inner mean girl has to come out to remind you of all the ways that you are less than as a means to motivate you, shame you into doing better, I guess. It, it honestly, when you start to think about it in that way, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense why we would do this. It does make a lot of biological sense though. So let's talk about neurobiology and what shame, um, what that's, but what its purpose is. I mean, it, it's around. And so what I can tell you about anything that's around um, behaviors that we do to ourselves, that we do to others, if a behavior continues to be repeated, not just with you, but across generations, intergenerationally, there is an adaptive quality to it. And you have to think about it like a scientist that way. So if you were Jane Goodall, watching the apes and they were shaming each other, what would you think essentially? And then why would that then get mapped out kind of mirrored inside? So it's that inner critic voice, but it used to be, you know, your mom's hypercritical voice of you or yes, a friend's or a sister's or, you know, societies in general, teen magazine, whatever you want to, what, wherever you want to point those fingers. <laughs> so why do we do this, right? Well, the neurobiological or biological function of shame is to pull us back into the tribe, right? So we are pack animals. We have to live in groups of people. We're tribal beasts. If humans were to live in isolation of one another, we would not have made it as far and, and as much as we have, right? One of our beautiful adaptive skills is this ability to reason and also this ability to interpersonally connect. So we have an actual neurobiological need to be in community with one another, to be loved, to feel like we belong. And it has been over time, millennia, it's been really hardwired into us. So you're not gonna, not in one lifetime, all of a sudden be somebody that gets to be a social introvert that never wants to have any belonging to anyone. You can tell yourself that you will feel loneliness. You will start to feel the effects of not being in connection with other people. What's one of the worst things that we do to prison inmates? We put them in isolation for long periods of time. And not just isolation interpersonally, but isolation from any kind of sensory input as well. Like in a dark cell, nobody's there to talk to, nothing to see, you know, essentially putting them where they have no contact with any connection outside of them. So we have this neurobiological need. And this behavior of shaming, if you just look at it non-judgmentally, like what's its function, what's its functionality, it pulls us back into the tribe. So if we go out on a limb and do something really silly and the whole tribe says, that's kind of, uh, what are you doing over there? Then we'll stop doing that behavior and it pulls us back in. Right. If we start to say marry our cousins, and then we realize that's a bad idea. There's all sorts of birth defects that happen with that. Then all of a sudden, over generations, we start to have a shameful response to having attraction to people that are in your biological lineage, essentially. 
So this is why that behavior is around. Now, why did it get internally directed? Well, internally, we have our own interpersonal network. So going back, I guess I am going to go back to the movie. Sorry. Going back to the movie, Mean Girls, the mayhem really started when everybody found out about what was being said. Like it was, if, if a few people knew this bad thing was being said, it was bad enough. But when everybody started to realize what was in this burn book, what they actually were realizing is that their, you know, secret behaviors, their secrets they told to friends, their things that they felt, thought were private or were only shared with a close few, they realized had been broadcast in some fashion. And that is where the mayhem started. Well, we have internal relationships with different parts of ourselves. And some of those parts talk to some of those other parts. And sometimes they don't, right? Our inner critic is going to try to pull us back into the fold, pull us back into our self and, and have some cohesion of following a certain set of rules of who it is to be for me, Dr. Natalie. And if we go outside of that, it will shame us until we go back to that. But if everybody inside of me knew all the things, then I would really start to spiral out of control. And that's what happens when self-critical thinking hits this period, uh, this kind of line in the sand where it, is, it isn't just neurobiologically a wiring thing. It becomes much worse than that. We could describe it as a mental health issue, um, adjustment disorder at the very least. But, you know, during midlife transition, say, if all parts of me get whiff of some parts of me aren't functioning correctly, I'm going to start to feel like I'm spiraling out of control, like nothing in my life feels okay. So does that sound familiar? Like you would, you start kind of just thinking you're being critical of one area of your life. Let's say you're being critical of being a mom. And then you realize that if your mom self isn't doing so hot, then you're probably not doing so hot as a friend self. And you're not probably doing as well as you thought as a spouse self, and you're probably not doing as well in your job. And it just starts to snowball into feeling like there's no part of me that's okay right now. That's where what we would call in the psycho psychology business, that's where it hits a point of functional impairment that's beyond what you can handle. And so it's disordered and it's, you know, operation, but inner meanness, inner mean girls, inner critic, there is some functional value to it. Now, I believe that if you understand the function of it, then you can be the boss of it, essentially. And that's what I want to help you to understand. If you understand this biological function of why we have this inner self-critic, then when you notice your inner self-critic, you can show up to that part of you differently. Instead of being mad and wanting to excise it from your life and ostracize this part, I don't want her here. I hate her. She's so mean to me. Instead of that, you might be able to come alongside and have a different understanding of why she is doing what she's doing. And then from that position of, you know, having agency over your whole life, even this critical part of you, 
you can make decisions like what she's telling you is not serving you. I, it's an old record. I know where it comes from. I know, I know that my mom used to tell me I shouldn't wear white after Labor Day. Like it was a huge fashion faux pas. And so what is happening to me when I, you know, tell myself that I look horrible in white after Labor Day? Well, this is an old record. And that's pretty innocuous, but there are versions of that that happen to us that it will actually behoove us to understand it and then work around it instead of falling right into that pitfall. So if you go back to last week, we talked about the hole in the middle of the road, your autobiography in five chapters, instead of falling into that hole uh, wittingly or unwittingly, what we're really talking about is learning how to walk around it. So you might still be, the cues are there, the self-criticalness is there, you're still walking down the same street, but we're going to try not to fall in this hole this time around. So inner mean girls, that's what they're about. And that is the best way to manage them. And the best way to get into a way of like feeling like you have agency over these aspects of yourself, like critical thinking, like your self-critical mean girl the way to get at having the skill sets to do that is to practice meditation, mindfulness, getting beefed up in your brain, that part of your brain that knows how to self-soothe and turn on your frontal lobe, turn on that front part of your brain, that, that reasoning part of your brain that can kind of see the bigger picture. So instead of just like I am like only on the street and see only a hole ahead of me. You can kind of take a step back and see the whole street and where the hole is and how you could get around it. Are you liking what you're hearing today in this podcast episode? Oh, I am so glad. I love being able to really touch people in a place where they need the help, right? So I have two requests of you. The first one, could you just think of one person, one person in your life that also could hear this message? I bet you could. And what I'd ask you to do is when you're done listening today, why don't you just take the link and send it to that person, right? Let them have a chance to also gain from this the way that you are today. And then the second thing that I would request that you do is make sure that you're following me where you get your podcasts. Like, comment. I even on Spotify have questions each and every week. Use any of those outlets because it does help me help you. What I gather from that information is what you want to hear about. And then I make sure that these podcasts are relevant to what your needs are. So what does that look like in real life? I'm going to give you a real world example that comes up considerably for women in midlife. Body image. It's a real weird one. Like it's all, it's been terrible all our lives. Let's be real. (laughs) Women have gotten a real hard uh, knockout on life with body image. There's only like, I don't even know what the statistics are, but only about 1% of us that fit what this ideal is of youngness, thinness, whiteness, uh, looking a very specific way. If only 1% of us fit into that, that means 99% of us have an inner mean girl that's telling us all the time how we're not meeting up to muster. And if you have that haranguing at you all your life, it gets super backwards when you get to midlife and your body starts changing 
hormonally, it starts changing physically. It starts changing. It doesn't change at the same pace as everybody else, because there is this margin of error that's around, you know, two decades, um, where women can start perimenopause and get through menopause. It, it could be in your late thirties, all the way up to your late sixties. Like what, uh, it, huh? <laughs> you know, so your body is going to start doing all these really wackadoodle things. And your social currency, as far as how you look, has changed. And that you really cannot stop. You can put on as many creams as you want to, but your skin is going to change. Your body's shape is going to change. The function of your body is going to change. And so there's only so much that you can do to stave that off. And when we hit that cliff and start to fall over it, because I don't think it's a pothole, girls. I think it's a freaking cliff that we fall off. And our social currency drops off. We're no longer beautiful. We're no longer, you know, by societal standards, we get really hard on ourselves with this inner mean girl. But here's the problem. The inner mean girl's narrative is very specific. She only wants you to look like that 1% ideal, young, thin, white person. That's what she wants you to look like. That was the narrative that social conditioning gave us, cultural conditioning gave us in American culture and and other cultures as well. But I'm just going to speak to what I know, Western culture, what American culture. This is that's the ideal. She has no idea that there are other options. <laughs> now, there might be a part of your brain that does. Okay. So there's, you know, we're smart people and we've collected things and ideas over the years. And so some of us actually have, you know, kind of this logical side of us that's come to terms with, no, my body's going to change and I'm going to be okay with that. And, you know, here's, here's how I want to think about that. But this inner mean girl didn't get that memo. So this is one of those places where inner mean girl talks to certain parts of you but she does not talk or know about that reasonable adult part of you that could tell you differently about what's going on with your body image at that point in your life and in midlife. So what do you do with this, right? Let's go back to mindfulness. There's this part of our brain that is very central. It's kind of at the core of our brain. So you you know, can think of, of your spinal cord kind of as your arm. And if you were holding a fist, your fist is your brain. And it's really right. Like if you're tucking your thumb in, it's that, that internal part of your brain. And that is your limbic system. That is the part of our brain that processes emotionally and thinks emotionally. It also is a part of our brain that it helps to navigate fight, flight, freeze responses. Most of those are actually navigated by our gut brain, which is all the polyvagal nervous system that goes through our gut. Um, but for all intents and purposes in the actual brain, the limbic system is what houses kind of that fight, flight, survival response, and also emotional relevance or emotionality. That part of our brain is not very smart. Okay. <laughs> And that's the part of our brain that our inner mean girl works and she works it hard. She wants to get the ear of that emotional, not so bright part of our brain that immediately, like it's an inflammatory response that it has. It's like, oh my gosh, my inner mean girl just told me I have a big fat roll and I have my jowls hanging because I'm, you know, not, I don't have that taut skin anymore. What? 
Am I going to like, she wants to get the ear of that emotional part of you that just gets charged up almost immediately. And you're falling right on that cliff, right into that hole right away. If she gets the ear of that emotional part of you. So how do we calm that part of us down when it's activated? Here's the problem. When it's activated, it overrides that reasonable a part of our, you know, the part of our brain that can think clearly, that has problem solving, that has stored this information that you're thinking you're going to be thinking about yourself a little bit differently. You're going to, you have a different outlook on what your life (laughs) can look like, what your body image will be in your adulthood. Yeah. That part of you actually gets cut off when the inner mean girl is able to get that emotional part of your brain really activated. And so the trick is that there has to be a mechanism to start to soothe that part of your brain. And there happens to be a very, very small bridge between the medial prefrontal cortex and this part of your limbic, the limbic system, the emotional part of your brain. So it's kind of behind, like internally behind your forehead, but it's like on the inside, it's the part where the frontal lobe starts to touch in inner core limbic system. Um, so if you were, again, you had the fist, this is a, I'll put this in the um, notes for the podcast, but this is a Dr. Dan Siegel hand model of the brain. The brain's frontal lobe resides behind the knuckles, which would be kind of like behind the forehead. And if you peeled open your fingers, that internal thumb curled up in your fist is your limbic system. And that, you know, backside of the middle finger is kind of where the limb, the frontal lobe starts to touch that limbic system. So that's where this bridge is going to be, but it is strengthened by being able to have focus and be present in the here and now. And then culture has taught women over time that their social currency is actually based on um, dual tasking or multitasking. That's my favorite. It's not actually a thing. We'll get to that too. It, what happens is we don't always have a very strong medial prefrontal cortex to do the self-soothing because we have been training our brain across the years to have like a scanning of all of the things in our environment. We want to know where what, what's up in every different way and we're going to multitask everything. We tend to be worried about what is this future thing that's coming my way. I need to plan for that. And if I if I worry enough and I problem, you know, I plan problem solve enough, then the negative outcomes probably won't happen. This is kind of what we have generated as our our baseline for thinking as women in America. And unfortunately, that works against having a strong medial prefrontal cortex that can self-soothe that limbic system, that can connect that reasonable part of our brain that knows my body image is going to shift. My rules of life body image is shifting. I've made that decision. It's not connecting to that limbic system, that emotional center of your brain. So how do you get that to happen? You get it to happen through mindfulness and meditative practice. This is why, um, this is why your, your friendly therapist is always telling you meditation is such a good thing. It's not just a woo woo thing. There's actually science behind it. It actually beefs up or you know, starts to build better neural connections on between that frontal lobe and that limbic system on that byway of the medial prefrontal cortex. So how do we do this? How do we get into a practice of this? I mean, 
the idea of meditation for many of us makes us cringe. Am I right? Like it's super cringy. We, we, if, especially when we have been trained to have this multitasking behavior and to have our attention pulled in many different directions, but rarely be just here, just paying attention to what's in this moment. How in the heck am I going to sit down for any amount of time, Dr. Natalie, and meditate? Are you flipping kidding me? That's really, I, I hear this. I hear it a lot. Well, I'm here to tell you, A, meditation and mindfulness really aren't about arriving at this, you know, euphoric state of I'm in the Zen zone. Okay. You are not going to be a Buddhist monk. Well, maybe you want to be, but that's, you know, you do you. Most of us are not going to be a Buddhist monk. (laughs) Most of us are not going to have, you know, half hour, hour of time where we're able to just stay focused on just the here and now, just the, you know, mantra that we're, you know, repeating in our meditation or um, focusing on our breath. Like none of us, none of us are going to come out the gate and do that for sure. And many, many, many of us are never going to get there. And that's okay. Because that doesn't build your capacity. That is a capacity that's been built and you're riding on. So here's the difference. Let's think about this like physical body. If I sent you to the gym and I asked you to bench press a hundred pounds and you've never picked up a weight in your life, that would be too difficult, right? If I asked you to, to lift that weight and hold it up for a period of time, that would be too difficult. So the answer to, could you get there is, well, yeah, but we're going to start with the five pound weights and then we're going to graduate to the 10 and the 15 and so on and so forth. And over a course of months of time, we will build muscle mass. And as that muscle mass builds, I have more strength and I have more ability to add more weight. And I can even sustain holding it up for longer periods of time because I have built that muscle mass. We need to help you actually build the neurological mass in your head, the muscle mass in your head, essentially. So for you, the practice is not about arriving at a place where you're in a meditative state, but about continuing to turn your mind towards that meditative state. So here's how I want you to think about it. If you are not driving, if you are somewhere where you can do this with me, I just want you to like gaze downward or close your eyes. And we're just going to do this for like 30 seconds. We're just going to focus on the breath just for 30 seconds. Okay. I just want you to notice how does it feel coming in and out? Is the air cold? Is it warm? Do you feel it in your mouth, in your throat, in your chest? Well, just what are you noticing as you're breathing in and out? Not changing any of your breath, just noticing your breath. And right now, you may have noticed that your mind is wandering to something, you know, thought about the grocery list, or what is this crazy Dr. Natalie doing here for 30 seconds? And you just notice that thought. That's Just notice it. Don't judge it. And now turn your mind back towards that breath again, just focusing on that breath, in and out, watching the chest and the abdomen rise and fall, in and out. 
And again, your mind might wander and that's okay. Just notice that it wandered off again. Pull it right back to your breath. Noticing that breath, naming what you're noticing. So what was that like? It's like 30 seconds, maybe a little bit more. 30 seconds of trying to focus on your breath. How many times did your mind wander? Mine on average wanders like, I don't know, 10 times in 30 seconds. It's annoying. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts running around in my head. And what that means is if they, if my brain wanders 10 times and I pull it back in and it wanders and I pull it back in, that's, that's a wrap, right? So we go back to the analogy of lifting weights. If you do 10 reps, you're building muscle. So if my mind wanders 10 times and I pull it back in, that's what's building the capacity. That's what's building that neurology in your head. I'm just so grateful that you are a loyal listener and that what I'm delivering here is something that you want to be listening to each and every week. There are just other ways that you can be working with me through learntoloveyourstory.com, and I want to make sure that you know what those are. Now, for starters, all of these are links that you would find in the notes for every single podcast, and if you found me in a post on learntoloveyourstory.com, All of these links are there as well. But there are three ways that you can work with me. The first, and the one that I really strongly recommend is, join my Facebook group. Join my community. This is a place where we can all talk with one another about what you're hearing me put out on podcasts, write in my blogs, and you really get some support, some community around making change, working towards that centered life thriving that you want. The second thing is, I have a whole set of courses online all there, right there for you that will teach you and walk you through with workbooks, with guided meditations. So if you haven't seen that, you should at least go over and browse. And then my last and my favorite way is to meet with you one-on-one. I do a free consultation for an entire hour. It's called a midlife valuation. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the value of your midlife. We're going to compare that to the goals that you have for yourself. And we're going to help you come up with a plan where there's gaps there. And it's all free to you. So these are the three ways to get started working with me in another way if you're loving what you're hearing on the podcast. All I want you to do is start thinking about how do I build that practice in? And all I want you to commit to is like five minutes a day, not even all at once. I like 60 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds at a time and build yourself up to about five minutes a day, right? Do it a couple times a day. Do it in the beginning of the morning. Do it again before you go to bed. You know, hook it to something you're already doing. That's a really good behavioral practice to create a new habit is to create a cue. So you tie it to something you're already doing. I I focus on my breath for 30 seconds while I'm, you know, once I finish brushing my teeth, for instance. So you're just hooking it to something you're already doing. I do it as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, or I do it as I put my head on the pillow before I go to bed. Things that you're never going to miss that you always do every day, just hook it to something like that. And I want you to notice one weekend, two weeks in, you're going to notice that you build it up, right? We go from five pounds to 10 pounds and from 10 pounds to 15 pounds. You'll go from 30 seconds to 60 to 90, maybe up to four or five minutes at a stretch. And once you get there a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks in, it's a new habit. You're doing it because you've tied it to a cue and you're noticing 
that you are in a calmer state more of the time. And I'll tell you why that is. You have now built the strength of the part of our brain that can self-soothe. You have literally built muscle that tells the limbic system, hold it, sister. Like, (laughs) calm down, calm down. Let's just reason about this. Instead of, boom, hitting your limit of irritability and just the point of no return where that limbic system turns on and it shuts down its access to that frontal lobe. When we build up this medial prefrontal cortex, there's a lot of things that we can do and we're, and our brain will just do it naturally. Right. So we go back to this inner mean girl and inner mean girl, like she wants the ear of that limbic system. She has these kind of wrote uh, tapes, you know, I'm a woman in midlife when I say tapes, but she has these old recorded messages on reels that just keep going and going. So I look in the mirror and I see my, you know, less than perfection in my image. And the only thing that this inner mean girl could do is tell me that looks wrong. That looks wrong. That looks wrong. She is a broken record. She is only going to be able to say what she already knows but she can get my limbic system jived up. She can get my emotions, like she can be irritable. She can be scared. She can get me upset. So if I haven't built up that medial prefrontal cortex to say, Hey, let's slow down here. Let me come around side of you. Let me come around side this mean girl. Okay. You're just telling me things that I would have learned. Well, shoot. When I was 11, 12 years old, I'm now 46. It's no longer applicable. So I hear you. You're an old recording. I see you over there. Not worried about you being here in our mean girl. What you say is not relevant. And I don't have to then get all the parts of me on the inside riled up. Right. I don't have to have, you know, oh my gosh, this mayhem going off where, because I'm down in that area, well, now I'm mad because I also am not mothering very well. And I also am not, you know, doing very well in this new business venture of mine. And I'm also like, it just starts to snowball, right? Limbic system loves to do that. It just will start to generate that negative energy within your mind. And then of course, within your whole body mind. So Building through meditation and mindfulness practice, that medial prefrontal cortex is the key. It's the key to not taking your inner mean girl so seriously, to understanding her origins, why she does what she does, to not letting her get the ear of the limbic system, or if she does, being able to turn on that self-soothing medial prefrontal cortex to say, hey, 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 let's slow our roll. What's really going on here? It turns out at 46, I won't look like I'm 16. So we're going to be fine. But I hear you over there, mean girl. You only know to say what you've been taught to say. Let me bring my adult self online here that knows something different that could do this differently. Right? So that's that's it, guys. This is this inner mean girl. She is tameable. <laughs> she is manageable. She is somebody that could be brought into the fold of all of who you are as a person without wanting to ostracize or push her away. Now, you may have a particularly nasty inner mean girl. And if you do, or you find yourself in those places where it snowballs more often than not, and you don't seem to be able to pull yourself back in, 
Well, then you might think about therapy. You might think about talking to somebody like myself professionally and figuring out a way, not just with the mindfulness and meditation, but other ways that we could help you kind of rewrite those narratives. Um, Because sometimes those messages are really, really strong and we can't think outside of them. And counseling works, right? But for the rest of us, I just want you to try. I just want you to commit for yourself to this idea of I'm just going to do like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds of this, this focusing on my breath or focusing on a taste in my mouth. If I put something in my mouth or focusing on a texture, anything that you can find to start and build up that medial prefrontal cortex. And again, you can find more resources from me on learntoloveyourstory.com, either through just my free gift. If you want to go that route, Um, I think I have a meditation And I have a workbook that gives you some ideas and uh, uh, more ways in which you can build up the capacity of that medial prefrontal cortex. I will also put some links in the notes of this podcast so that you can find some other resources as well that I mentioned um, earlier in the podcast. Because for me, I don't care where you get the help. I just want you to start doing it so that you don't have to be so critical of yourself or find yourself spinning out of control once critical thinking starts to happen. Well, everybody, I truly, truly hope that you found this as enlightening as I thought it was when I first originally published it and as I think it is even now and how well it goes with our two previous podcasts where we talked about this idea of being more kind to herself, more compassionate and how difficult that is. Knowing a little bit more about your inner mean girl and how to counterbalance that really is useful. I hope that it helps you on your path to leading a centered life thriving by learning to love your story, even the inner mean girl part of it. All right, so I'm adding a little addition here. It's the legal stuff. Just so you're aware, nothing in any of these podcasts constitutes actual psychotherapy. Yes, I am a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Minnesota, but everything here is just educational in nature and is a suggestion of things that you could be doing in your own life to learn how to love the life that you're in instead of waiting for a life that you're dreaming of to come towards you. So just remember, this is not therapy. And if ever you need any resources for mental health, look in my notes and I'll always have a little blurb at the bottom where you can click on a link and get those services for yourself.